Well, last Friday for my weekly wrap-up video, I, I kind of found myself lacking a whole lot of really interesting topics to talk about that I hadn't already discussed. I already talked at length about the Fed and the uh, escalation of the trade war and the precious metals markets. And, and I felt that I could have talked about more had I had a little bit more material in front of me. And yet here I am, you know, 60 or 72 hours later, whatever, here on Monday, finding myself with both the blessing and the curse of having a lot of material to discuss today. So I don't know how long this will go. I'm sure, you know, by the time you're listening to this, you know how long this can go, 20, 30, 40 minutes. But, you know, I say blessing and a curse because blessing-wise, there's a ton going on in the financial world and in the precious metals markets, which I think ultimately is bringing us closer and closer to uh, the end or at least uh, the, the climax of this end of, of the current system. That's just very broadly speaking. Uh, Curse-wise, there was, of course, the the tragic news of the two uh, mass shootings here in the United States, which I want to take some time to discuss towards the end, as well as the escalation of this conflict, uh, this long-standing conflict between Pakistan and India. Now, I'm going to say both of those things for the end because you guys know, first and foremost, this is not a geopolitical show. This is not a political show. Uh, and I'm going to try and not get too much into politics when I when I broach those topics. Primarily, this is this is a podcast and a channel about precious metals, the economy, and the financial world, and that's what I want to start off with. Huge moves in the market Sunday evening and Monday morning thus far. I'm recording this video uh, coming up here on 12 uh, p.m. Central Time. So markets haven't yet closed, or at least, you know, U.S. markets, but huge moves in the last uh, 12 or 16 hours. And it all was sparked by a move in the Chinese yuan, a move of, I think, less than 2%, right? The Chinese yuan compared to the U.S. dollar, a move above a key level or below, depending on how you look at it, a key level of 7 to 1, meaning as we speak, it's about 7.09 yuan for every U.S. dollar, the exchange rate. Now, this is a number that has been watched very closely. It's kind of the, the line in the sand that was drawn by the People's Bank of China many years ago. The line in the sand of, of which they, they wouldn't allow their currency to, or at least for the time being, to devalue beyond, right? And for many months, many years, many individuals, including myself, have watched and warned about the breach of this level. And yet, despite all the talk and, and those warnings, I don't know how many people are actually closely watching it as uh, Asian markets opened last evening, Sunday evening. And all of a sudden, we see this move blast through 7 to 1, move up to about 7.1 to 1, which you know might seem like a small move when, when we're talking about the stock market dropping hundreds of points or or bond yields down you know, 20, 30 basis points. But in the world of the dollar yuan exchange rate, that was a enormous move. Not to mention that it was a, an enormous move through a key uh, support level, right? Now, why did this occur? Now, this is in the uh, Chinese offshore yuan, this, this big move, which, you know, the, you know, the way it works, uh, if you want to, to look at the offshore exchange rate, you would, you know, go to, I don't know, tradingview.com or something like that and just type in USD, uh, CNH versus CNY. Uh, but basically, this could be seen as uh, two different factors at work here. Um, first of all, 
This is not necessarily China directly intervening in the currency markets, right? Actively devaluing their currency. Rather, you know, my view on it is that these types of devaluations uh, of, of the yuan versus US dollar is more so them intervening less to support their currency, allowing it to be devalued, right? And and of course, this devaluation of, of the yuan, uh, what some, including Trump, would probably consider uh, uh, currency manipulation, is is a very hotly debated topic when it comes to this this trade war, this global trade war slash uh, cold war, right? And so the idea behind this is that Trump on Thursday, you know, about a day after the Fed meeting, comes out and says, "All right, we're going to slap ten percent tariffs on another three hundred billion dollars worth of Chinese imports." Uh, effectively, that's as of September first. So as of September first, basically all Chinese imports to the United States will have some form of tariffs, either 10% or 25% or something along those lines, right? An escalation of the trade war because things just weren't moving. China's escalation then would be for them to uh, cut their own exchange rate or, or to allow it to be devalued to, you know, beyond seven to one, the line in the sand, right? In addition to that, China also came out and said, look, we're going to uh, order our, our you know, corporations to try and not buy U.S. agricultural products, right? Which has been a big uh, point of, of debate, a hotly contested uh, piece of this, this ongoing trade deal, which, if anything, is, is dead in the water, right? So that move in Yuan caused just a massive ripple, not even a ripple, like, like a, a tidal wave through the markets, right? And as of right now, we see gold above $1,460. Silver um, up somewhat uh, in the last you know, 24 hours. Uh, the U.S. Treasury bond market, that the 10-year yield below 1.8%, right? It was like a week or two ago, it was around 2%. And in, in the world of Treasury markets, that's a pretty big move. Uh, the, the stock market, last time I checked, the Dow Jones is down like 700 points, right? Almost 2% on the day. These are huge moves in these markets. We see uh, the, the Australian currency uh, really getting hammered. We see the, the British pound, for, for other reasons, uh, getting hammered as of today. The U.S. dollar is actually down a fair bit today. Um, just as a whole, this spells out trouble for the global economy, right? Zero Hedge put it very succinctly when they say that the, that the Chinese yuan, when it's devalued, exports deflation worldwide. That is not what central bankers or governments or Donald Trump are looking for right now. They're looking for inflation, right? And so we're left asking the question, what's next? Well, first of all, I want us to talk about silver and gold because that's what I put in the title of this video. And I feel I have to talk about this big move in gold. The move through 1450 is huge. And if it can close above that today, that's, that's a big deal, right? Never mind silver. I get it. It's underperforming. I haven't checked the ratio as of today, but I'm guessing it's, it's above 90 to one, right? But right now, as it has been the case for a while, let's keep our eyes on gold, right? And this move above 1450 is huge. Right, it's it's not on the same level of a move above fourteen hundred or thirteen fifty, but but it's a big deal, right? And and I think that primarily this wasn't necessarily a, a dollar uh, because the dollar went down, the gold went up type of story. Uh, as a whole, I think this is a, a safe haven bid for gold, right? Because they know that historically, if you look back to I can't, I can't remember. I think it was the end of 2015 when the Chinese yuan was aggressively devalued. It 
it uh, it shook up the the global financial system. It, it was not a, a good time. It was not a time for confidence, right? Um, in addition, you have the uh, recent economic data here in the United States coming in very weak. Um, the ISM data that that was released today. Uh, so that, in addition with with the Chinese devaluation, their escalation of the trade war, the Trump escalation of the trade war, if anything, this is pushing the Fed further in the direction of easing more rate cuts this year. Right? I said it before that when Fed when when Powell came out last Wednesday and said, "Look, this is just a mid cycle adjustment," he was going to have to eat those words. And and I I'll be honest, I didn't expect it to be so soon. That that I think we're going to see the Fed increasingly come out and say, "Look." We're worried that we're going to have to cut even more now or even start QE because of the the trade situation. Now, the, the trade war as a whole is, is not the it's not the whole story here. Right. I think as we come up in the 2020 election, especially if we move closer and closer to a recession, you're going to see a concerted effort by Republicans and Trump to, to paint this recession as a Fed induced slowdown. And you're going to see Democrats point to the Trump trade war or, or other issues and say this is Trump's fault, right? Uh, it's all about the narrative, right? We know that. And and I think this is going to be quite quite a, a battle for that narrative, right? And I think both sides are going to become very nicely entrenched in their own uh, view. But I think the truth of the matter, going, to my, going back to my video last uh, Friday, is that this is an economy that is built on extremely weak fundamentals, right? Massive amounts of debt, we can't even sustain a Fed funds rate above 2.5% without a total freakout by the market, right? Stocks are, were a very close to all-time highs, and yet we see you know, the Fed cutting rates and, and ending quantitative tightening and moving towards probably more rate cuts and QE within the next 6 to 12 months, right? This is an incredibly fragile market because it's built on incredibly weak fundamentals. And so if it's the trade war or one rate hike too many by the Federal Reserve, does it really matter exactly what the catalyst is. And we'll see more emerge, right? With with lower oil prices, it could be a shale uh, oil right? Uh, crisis, uh, kind of in that same line of thinking. It could be junk bonds, right? It could be the corporate debt markets, right? The uh, slowdown in, in housing, um, you know, rise in, in treasury bonds, or just a lot of concern in general about uh, uh, the U.S.'s ability to, to fund their deficits in, in the coming months. I mean, those are all potential catalysts, and, and there's many more uh, that I'll be talking later on about this, this trade war or uh, the, the situation in the uh, Persian Gulf with Iran, right? Those are all potential catalysts. We could see this also being sparked by, by uh, uh, economic weakness and recessions in Europe. It could be sparked by, uh, certainly will be sparked by uh, economic weakness and financial troubles in China. It could be Japan and a blow up of their banking system, right? But at the end of the day, that yes, those catalysts are important, just like the subprime mortgage crisis was important back in 2007. But is it really the cause? No, there's some fundamental flaws with our system, and there's some serious fundamental weakness in our current system, right? But there's going to be a, a control a battle to control the narrative. What's next? Uh, like I said, the Fed is, is going to be forced to, to ease more, Right. And there's also the prospect, increasingly something people have talked about, is the potential that the Trump administration and the Treasury choose to interfere or, or you know, devalue the U.S. dollar, 
right? Something other currencies, other countries have done in the past, central banks have done in the past. Uh, and that's, you know, that's something that was recently rejected by, I think it was a uh, Kudlow that, that said that, no, that's not going to happen. Now, Larry Kudlow, he's hardly a guy that I would consider to be a man of integrity, especially uh, concerning his record since he joined the Trump administration and his constant cheerleading of the economy. But I, I wouldn't rule something like that out, right? Especially if they use it, you know, with the pretext of look at what China's doing in terms of devaluing their own currency, right? And so that type of devaluation by the U.S., people have talked about it in the past. And it's, you know, I think the, the consensus is, is that the ability to devalue the U.S. dollar by the Treasury Department or by executive action is limited. But just the, the threat of it or even just the, the act of a small devaluation, a small um, act of, of, you know, selling dollars, basically, that could, you know, spark a significant drop in the dollar. I'm talking a couple percentage points, right? And and a pretty big move up in silver and gold, right? And I think that's increasingly becoming a possibility. Uh, additionally, we I think the risk of, of Trump uh, become more actively uh, more active in interfering, I guess, with Fed policy, whether or not you consider it justified, is going to take a hit for for the dollar as well. Not just because they're going to be cutting rates and, and starting up the printing presses again. But also because when executive branches uh, interfere in central banking policy, that's generally a big no-no, right? That's that's not bullish for that given currency, right? Uh, case in point, look at Turkey over the last 12 months with Erdogan's insistence on, on trying to control their uh, monetary policy, right? It's, it certainly has not been a positive for the Turkish lira, right? So that's something to watch, right? And all of those things are going to be bullish for silver and gold. Now, yes, you know, if we see a period of deflation uh, because of Chinese exported deflation, if this euro dollar squeeze continues, yes, those, those can all send the dollar higher and those can be a downward pressure on silver and gold. Not to say that they'll decline, but it can be a downward pressure. But as a whole, this is, this is a, this is what silver and gold were made for, right? Uh, a theme in this video, in this podcast later on, as I discuss some of these other topics, is momentum. And that these types of events, these types of, of uh, I guess, cascade of events, kind of develop a momentum of their own, right? Whether we're talking about geopolitical, political movements, or uh, economic downturns, right? They develop a momentum of their own. And I think... As we see this this trade war developing that momentum, as we see that um, um, the the Fed policy moving closer and closer to easing, as we see economic weakness uh, kind of building upon itself, as as economic weakness kind of reinforces uh, more caution among investors and and corporations and consumers, it's going to build momentum of its own. Right. And, and I think this trade war in this devaluation of the yuan, it extends far beyond just just tariffs. Right. Or how many agricultural products and soybeans and whatnot China is going to buy. Right. I, I talked about this last week that this trade war is more than just a trade war. This is a cold war. Right. And you're going to see this extend into other areas of this this U.S. China uh, conflict. Let's just call it what it is. Right. That's that's on display right now in Hong Kong, as Hong Kong is in, in utter chaos, right? The 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 arc of this um this ongoing protest and, and civil strife in, in Hong Kong 
is is still in the uptrend, right? We we haven't hit a climax yet, right? These protests are continuing, and and ultimately, we're we're heading for what many people do not want to see here in the the freedom loving West, and that is an intervention by the PLA, the the People's Liberation Army, the mainland Chinese army and or security forces on the the Hong Kong uh, province. Right, a crackdown. Now, maybe it won't be on the scale, at least in terms of of fatalities, of uh, you know Tiananmen Square back in uh, what nineties, eighties, but it's going to be bad, and it's going to be a crackdown on freedom and liberty and and autonomy, and and that's not good. But but what's going on in Hong Kong? Absolutely related to this devaluation, right? Uh, never mind the Hong Kong dollar and their economy as a whole. Uh, additionally, North Korea, right? Uh, the what's going on with North Korea as we see the U.S. and South Korea participating in some more uh, uh, war games, right, exercises. The, the chance of the North Korean peninsula returning to a state that it would have been in back in, you know, 2017, 2016, that the odds of that are increasing. Taiwan, right, the, the, the tensions between Taiwan and the mainland China and then the U.S. is really – increasing alignment with with Taiwan Taiwanese interests that is again part of this this cold war part of this trade war and that is only escalating further right it's building momentum of its own and it's getting scary right at what point does this currency war turn into a trade war well it already has at what point does this trade war turn into a hot war it's only a matter of time right uh, and shifting gears from from Iran uh, from from China to Iran uh, that plays into this as well. Right, many people have been speculating as to whether China will begin buying Iranian oil again, and and that is you know another tool that China can use to to take shots at the U.S. without without actually you know firing live ammunition, but certainly weakening our uh, position. Right, same you know it's a similar to their crackdown on Hong Kong protests. Or their their push for North Korea to continue to provoke the United States, or what have you. I mean, those are all these are all pawns in this game of chess. Uh, but unfortunately, I mean, we're not just talking about little chess pieces that are going to be taken off the board when when these uh, trade wars and this Cold War turns into a hot war. We're talking about human lives here, right? So it's a building momentum of its own, right? In addition, we have uh, over in, you know South. What west of, of China? You have this this border between Pakistan and and India, which for for many decades, you know, post World War II, has been contested between the countries. They call it Kashmir, right? It's it's an area which is primarily controlled or administered by India and Pakistan. I think there's a small portion that is actually under Chinese administration, but basically, for many years, uh, the the Indian portion of Kashmir has a very high level of autonomy, right? For all this talk of, of uh, Hong Kong and their autonomy from the Chinese mainland, you know, a similar story exists in, in uh, this Indian administered part, portion of, of Kashmir. And the idea behind that is, is that Kashmir is predominantly Muslim. They are a minority in India as a whole compared to the the uh, you know, primarily Hindu population. Uh, but but in that specific region, they're a majority and they have a high amount of autonomy, had a high amount of autonomy until today in which uh, India, very surprisingly, I think, uh, basically 
relinquished that autonomy that has existed there for many decades and deployed tens of thousands of troops into the area, which is already highly militarized, right? This is kind of a, a, a pressure point between India and Pakistan, which for many years have, have I don't want to use the word hate, but really hated each other, right? There's there's a huge amount of, of strife between these countries, right? Uh, in many ways, you know, maybe it's apples to oranges, but, but it's not unlike uh, Saudi Arabia and Iran, except these two countries share a border, Right, they're not just sitting on opposite sides of a of a sea, and and clashes between their militia are very common, right? In this Kashmir area, right? We're not just talking about clashes in Yemen or Syria or Iraq or what have you. We're talking about clashes along these borders. You know, over the weekend we saw uh, India uh, cluster bombing the this area of Kashmir. Uh, it was a series of months ago, uh, a couple months ago, in which we saw. Uh, India and and Pakistan and their air forces uh, get into to dogfights and, and shooting down each other's planes. Right. This is a and so so for all this talk about what's going on in Hong Kong, I mean, it's it's going to be figured out one way or another. And Hong Kong, in the whole scheme of things, yes, can be a catalyst for for uh, an economic downturn because of of their fairly large presence on the world scale uh, in the financial system. But but if if China cracks down on it. It sucks. It sucks for liberty. It sucks for what freedom they have and autonomy, but you know, life will go on, right? That's not, that could be a huge development in the whole scheme of things, right? It, I don't want to minimize it, but, but when you compare it to a potential war between India and Pakistan, it's fairly small. I'm just, just being honest here. And, and India and Pakistan for many months now seem to be moving closer and closer to just that, uh, an open conflict between these two countries, which I'll remind you, both of these countries are armed by nuclear weapons, right? And so, I mean, like I said at the beginning of this video, I I wish it wasn't the case that I had so much negative stuff to talk about. I wish I could just talk about what's going on with Yuan and the, the dollar and silver and gold and whatnot. But we also have a lot of, of just really kind of depressing topics to talk about, right? Hong Kong, these massive protests, which I think are great. The fact that they're standing up to the Chinese mainland and then the Communist Party, but I don't know. I don't know how much longer the Chinese Party is going to tolerate that. The same thing goes with with India and Pakistan. I don't know how much longer this is going to stay relatively peaceful, though there are still many lives being lost on a regular basis because of this this ongoing conflict. And that brings me to the United States and this this weekend that we experienced here. Right. Even those of you that live in Canada, the UK, Australia, New Zealand, you likely heard about these these two mass shootings here in the United States. First in El Paso in a Walmart, uh, twenty one actually now twenty one dead in that shooting. AK forty seven style weapon was was used by by a uh, a mass shooter, a coward. Let's call him what he is. Walked into the the to the uh, to the store and and started shooting and, and was later arrested. And then less than uh, 24 hours later in, in Dayton, Ohio, a, uh, another you know, coward uh, opened up this time with a 223, I'd assume an AR-15 style uh, rifle, opened up on a, a very popular, uh, uh, I guess, destination for, for the nightlife in Dayton, Ohio. Now, fortunately, the... Um, well, unfortunately, uh, 10 individuals died, including the shooter. But fortunately, I think it was less than 60 seconds, maybe within 30 seconds, 
uh, cops, officers, police uh, in the area engage the shooter, which which is an amazing response time for, for cops. Right? Very fortunate. Uh, but still, uh, 10 dead, including the shooter. I, I, I'll be honest with you. I... I wish I could know what was going on in these individuals' minds as they committed these acts, right? What drives somebody to do that, right? But what I would like to know even more, just just being honest here, is the the shooter in Dayton, Ohio. What went through his mind? Because because the idea was is that he was going to be shooting, and then he was, apparently I think was going to enter a bar, which was probably very packed, right? And and probably would have racked up quite the uh, the the um, the death toll had these officers not intervened. And I, I wish I would know what was going through his mind as he expected to be hitting soft target after soft target. And within 30 seconds, all of a sudden you have a handful of officers returning fire and put him down very quickly, right? Very thankful that they were there to do just that, but it's, it's heartbreaking. And, and I, I, I gotta ask myself, I don't know, maybe I'm just, maybe it's just in my head. But, but all of these events happening in, in honestly, like a 48-hour period. What's going on in the world, right? I think these events are starting to build a momentum of their own, right? In that term, a momentum of their own. You know, it goes back to, there, there's two in particular, two particular conflicts, global conflicts, one global, one more regional, that come to mind. First, uh, World War I. Right. Many of us know the story of, of World War One. There was the assassination of, of Duke Ferdinand, which in the whole scheme of things was not a huge geopolitical player. But all of a sudden it led to country after country taking sides. And before you know it, we have what the Axis and the Allies. Right. We have uh, I don't know if that was their names during World War One, certainly during World War Two. But all of a sudden we have these two uh, forces duking it out. And before you know it, we have millions dead. Right. We have trench warfare. We have what many would call the closest thing to hell on earth. All because of, of the assassination of one fairly unimportant political figure. But it, it built a momentum of its own. Before you know it, they're taking sides. And before you know it, uh, these, these you know, countries like Germany and France and the UK and, and others that for many years had been building up their arsenal and 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 becoming more and more militarized, all of a sudden had a reason and or chance to to flex their power. Uh, it was the 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 ruling class, the elite, that were sending millions of, of young men and women, primarily men, to their deaths, right? And those that survived, I imagine, carried mental scars with them for the rest of their lives, right? And then you can fast forward about 50 years later, early 60s, mid-60s, in Vietnam, Right, and and you hear these, you know, accounts, you know, JFK, you know, back in the very early involvement in in Vietnam, or Robert McNamara, who was his as well as uh, uh, LBJ's advisor, uh, Defense Secretary uh, LBJ himself, and others, you know, describing the conflict in Vietnam of of having a momentum of its own, right? In retrospect, you know, yes, I think there were there were men in the U.S. leadership and elsewhere that, that wanted a war, whether it was for, for, um, for pride, for, for bravado, for, for money because of the military defense complex or industrial defense complex, whatever you want to call it. But 
they made the decisions to escalate that war from from advisorship to the south of Vietnamese to boots on the ground to to a major conflict that would go down in history as well if nothing else a tragedy right a tragedy that so many had to die for a war that seemed to have been fought i don't know for for what reason really you know to to stop communism like can we justify it for that reason anyways the point of what i'm saying i'm not i'm not going to get into a debate about the merits of the vietnam vietnamese or the vietnam war but it developed a momentum of its own right and and i wonder if we're seeing similar things happen right now now luckily in today's day and age we have things like like even twitter as a bit of recourse to i don't know provide real time de-escalation for instance between uh iranian leader, leaders and and donald trump right uh but but it also provides them the opportunity for real time escalation right and so i think we we're seeing this point where at some point we're going to be crossing the point of no return whether it has to do with this iranian conflict or this uh currency war turned trade war turned cold war turned hot war with china or north korea or taiwan or hong kong or india and pakistan it's building a momentum of its own and even here in the united states you know coming full circle here to this to this talk about mass shootings and some some real i hope um soul searching by this country there's i think movements out there that are building momentum of their own and i'm not talking about movements for gun control right that that will come in due time i'm sure right though i'm not a fan of it my long-term viewers know i'm a big ardent supporter of second amendment rights right it's likely going to happen eventually right even our own you know supposedly conservative president are pushing things like like red flag laws and and uh background checks right but but it's bigger than guns right it's bigger than guns right it, it's easy to single it out it's easy to single out guns just like it's easy to single out a religion or a specific group of people or immigrants or whatever as a cause of of economic problems societal strife terrorism and yeah i mean you can make a case for some of those things being the case like yeah those mass shootings wouldn't have happened without guns but something bad would have happened right how many years ago was it not very long ago in which you know dozens were killed in france because somebody had used a a truck to to basically mow them down right those types of things happen um just like with terrorism right if it's if it's not terrorists coming from overseas from uh, syria or somalia or yemen or whatever well look who was it that that you know carried out these these murders here in the united states they were us citizens right white guys right that carry these out right terrorism and evil will likely always exist that's the truth of the matter and yet what i see being played out right now is that there are two factions here in the united states i don't even want to call them democrats and republicans i just i'll just call them two factions that are being played like fiddles by politicians by pundits and by the media right those two shooters now there's going to be more that's going to come out about this Dayton shooter hopefully and, and his motivation it sounds like he was not a white nationalist if anything he was more leftist and, and satanist and all those things you know just by some some preliminary reports and, and just headlines i see in zero hedge but 
they they were played by played by the media, played like a fiddle, right? Whether it's the media, by politicians, by whatever. Do do I think Donald Trump directly influenced the shooter in El Paso? No. I don't think Trump at all is promoting mass murders. He's not, right? I don't think uh, Nancy Pelosi or Kamala Harris or Chuck Schumer or anything like that are promoting mass murders, nor is CNN or Fox News or Glenn Beck or Rush Limbaugh or Sean Hannity or Rachel Maddow or Don Lemon or any of that. They aren't. They're not promoting mass murders. But this division in this country is creating the right environment for hate. And, and you know, the truth of the matter, and, and I want to succinctly wrap this up in a minute or two or five, but the truth of the matter is that just like with terrorism and and, and killing and, and, you know, those hates uh, is always going to exist in this world, right? Just like, like terrorism and, and killing and, and all that, right? That's, that's reality that we have to live with, right? But I think this increasing division between the left and the right or whatever groups of people, us versus them, is creating the environment for these types of things, right? It creates the motive or the sense of, of disenfranchisement or whatever you want to call it by these individuals to decide to pick up a, an AK-47 or an AR-15 or, or a delivery truck or whatever it is, uh, bombs, to, to go out and, and take the lives of, of dozens of innocent people. Now, there's more to it. Don't get me wrong. Right? There's mental illness involved in this. Right? And, and you know, what's the cause for that? I mean, let's not blame it just on video games or psychotropic medic- medications or, or, you know, just like I'm not going to blame it on guns or delivery trucks, right? They all, I think, play a role in this, right? But I think, you know, the media oftentimes is, is looking at, you know, to, to use a biblical reference, they're, they're looking at the speck in others' eyes, right? And it's not just the media that's guilty of this, but ignoring the, the board of wood in their own eyes, right? I think the media and politicians don't realize just how much they contribute to this divisiveness. Not mass murders. I'm not saying they're not promoting mass murders, but they're absolutely promoting divisiveness in this country. And I think it's intentional. Maybe not by all of these individuals, right? I, I honestly, I think Donald Trump, Nancy Pelosi, you know, pick your, you know, AOC, pick your Democratic or Republican leader or what have you. You're, you're many of the media pundits, right? Why are they, they promoting this language? Why are they, they pushing this divisiveness? It's for votes, right? It's to create a clear line, us versus them. It, okay. But I think that there are more nefarious forces at work here. Not, not only, I'm talking, uh, you know, let's, let's call it what it is, evil, uh, uh, Satan, whatever you want to call it, working here, but also individuals that, that understand that, that a population divided is... I don't know, the, the opposite of the whole united we stand idea, right? If you can divide a population, you can conquer, divide and conquer. And I think that's what's going on right now. And, and, and I think these principles that I'm discussing here can absolutely be applied to areas like Kashmir or Hong Kong or, or you know, other, I guess, hot spots 
uh, many areas in Europe and, and Australia and even what's been going on in New Zealand since there, uh, since the uh, massacre within a mosque uh, uh, a number of months ago. But, but it's divide and conquer. It's, it's many individuals are being played like a fiddle, right? By, by the media, by pundits, by politicians. And it's unfortunate, right? I guess, what is my solution to this? Again, I don't want to get super political here, right? I'm not trying to say one side is right or wrong, right? The point of what I'm saying here is we need to broaden our horizons here and say that, hey, maybe these politicians, maybe this divisiveness as a whole is contributing to this problem. It's not the cause necessarily, but it's certainly contributing to it and the, the environment for it. And maybe we need to start having more dialogue. Maybe we need to start having some more, I don't know, tolerance for each other and, and love for each other, right? That's That sounds so hippie-ish, right? But but it's the truth of the matter, right? But but what, what are my other solutions for this? Well, you know, going to the Dayton occurrence, uh, the, the shooter being put down within 30 seconds by police officers, that's great, but but police officers oftentimes are not within thirty seconds. Um, so so I do believe that there is a certain amount of of responsibility that that lies on civilians to 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 prevent these things from happening. You know, over the last year or two, occasionally I'll, I'll see articles about these types of shootings that were about to take place, but were quickly stopped by uh, civilians, concealed carriers with with weapons. They can't stop everyone. Right. Take, for example, you know, the Las Vegas massacre last fall. It would have been difficult for somebody to 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 resolve that in a timely manner with with a handgun. Right. Uh, but I, I think, you know, as many have said, you know, I, look, I, I'm a big Second Amendment right supporter, unapologetic for that. And I, I do believe that an armed society is a polite society. Right. And so those types of things can help. Um, I certainly don't think more gun laws are the solution, right? Nor are background checks, red flag laws, right? I think those are infringement on rights that, that I'm not willing to tolerate um, because of, of some people's fear, right? Many of those laws would not have stopped these shootings. And, and I know it's cliche, but come on, like criminals don't follow laws, right? If they're going to commit a mass shooting, why would they follow some law about, you know, obtaining a weapon lawfully? It just doesn't happen super often, but I mean, those are those are a little bit more pragmatic, basic you know things that that I think need to happen. As a whole, what I think we need is is a real awakening here in the United States on a couple different levels. First of all, I think we need to, to be awakened to, to the role that politicians, pundits, even ourselves in our own, I guess, echo chambers that we find ourselves in, contribute to these to this divisiveness right? That extends far beyond just mass shootings. Because I think when, when it comes down to it, I think neither of those, those mass shooters really represent their, their party's political views or their, you know, I think even most white nationalists are, are probably not a huge supporter of mass killers, uh, mass shootings, right? Uh, but, but we need to, we do need to become, I guess, woke to that, um, aware of, of the role, but, but ultimately, Again, just like my Second Amendment views, uh, I'm not apologetic about my views about humanity and our inescapable depravity, right? Pure and simple, just like I said earlier, death and hate and murder and terrorism and war, they're here to stay, 
right? They're going to ebb and flow. They always have through human history, but they are going to stay. Evil is very much alive in this country and in this world. And that has always been the case. And what is the antidote to that? Is it more laws? Is it more self-protection? Is it a bullet in the head? No, those things only go so far. Ultimately, you know, I think the, the antidote to this here in the United States and abroad is God, right? And, and I know some of my viewers are going to be turned off, but I'm serious here, right? You know, I, I have a God, I have a Savior that I know that lives, right? And, and I can have confidence that in these, these dark times globally or here in the United States, that he is still the answer, right? That, that it's not so much a question of why would God allow this to happen, but it's more so a question of why do we allow this to happen, right? If we think that we as humans are so good and God is such a bad God, why has this world always known, for the most part, always known poverty and hate and evil and death in killing and sickness. It's it's a product of our own making, right? We are depraved, right? Now I get it. I, I hope none of my viewers right now are are murderers or mass killers. And, and I'm guessing you guys probably aren't, right? There's probably a small portion of you guys that maybe have been guilty of things like, I don't know, cheating on somebody or stealing something, right? Um but but as a whole you know, we, we are all guilty of, of some level of sin, of some level of hate, depravity. And we need God. I mean, God is the antidote to that, right? Darkness hates the light. And, and that is what we're seeing going on right now, whether it's China's incursion into to Hong Kong or India, into to, uh, Kashmir, or these shootings in the United States. or I mean, pick your issue. It's, it's darkness. And, and darkness hates the light. Right? And that light is, is God. It is Jesus. It's his truth. Right, And so there's going to be those voices out there. right? Um, people commented on this or, or other pundits on YouTube or whatever that say, no, it's not God. It's, you know, that's, that's a lot of bogus or that that's just false or whatever. You know, for a variety of reasons, a variety of, of motivations for people to, to, I guess, say that they are not a believer in God or not a believer in, in uh the Bible or, or the truth or even objective truth in the first place, right? It's all just subjective. But the idea that some sort of belief in, in human, that, that, that humans can somehow solve these problems is a ridiculous argument because we can't. We've had thousands of years to solve these problems, right? And yet there's not a single nation on earth that has consistently been able to stop things like poverty, hate, death, killing, mass murders, terrorism, war, whatever you want to call it, right? It's never happened. Humans, we, we can't solve our own problems, right? That That's like trying to, I don't know, it's like you have a pile of dirty dishes and, and you're trying to clean them with some like sewage water, right? It's just not going to happen. We're incapable of it. Why would depraved humans be able to solve the problems of depraved humans. I mean, it's, it's, it doesn't work that way, right? We need light. We need truth in this world. And, and that's what I hope I can be on this channel, right? This channel is not necessarily a Christian thing in the sense that 
I'm sharing the gospel in every single video. But as a whole, you know, these movements that I'm discussing here, um, they are individual movements. They begin as individuals, right? And and I am a big believer that that my God lives, that He redeems, that He is the antidote to this problem, that He is the light and the truth that that uh, shines and illuminates this darkness in this world, this evil in this world, and that through Him and through individuals uh, um, accepting Him as our Savior, as putting their faith in God and accepting that this is truth, that this is objective truth, this is the way things are, that this God is alive and well in this world. But that is the antidote to this, right? And I think even, you know, individually speaking, I think the vast majority of people listening to this were not affected by, directly affected by these shootings, right? The vast majority of us are not affected by what's going on in Hong Kong or this trade war or North Korea or Taiwan or Iran or India, Pakistan. No, as a whole, we're not, right? We're isolated to that or we're insulated from that, I should say. But we've all experienced our, our own problems in our lives, right? Whether it's uh, divorces, uh, financial ruin, deaths of loved ones, um, hurt, pain. Uh, we've all done bad things, right? We are all depraved humans. And, and I think that, I don't think I know that, that the antidote to that, the antidote to to even like these these really deeply deranged and hurting individuals that choose to shoot up uh, Walmarts or, or bars or what have you, the antidote to that is is God. It's it's Jesus, right? Now, unfortunately, for one of them, the the, the antidote I don't even want to call it that. The the solution was a bullet or several, right? The others, you know, now in custody. Um, but but I don't think it's beyond God's power, beyond His grace, to to save those types of individuals. Uh, and it's not beyond his power. It's not beyond his, his grace to, to save you, right? To, to make a change in your life, right? And the idea behind this is not so much like, hey, I'm going to accept God or Jesus as my Savior and say, well, now that I have that figured out, my, my fan financial problems are going to go away. My, uh, my wife's uh, going to move back in. Um, my kids are suddenly not going to have problems in school. No, that's not the idea behind it, right? The idea behind uh, becoming a follower of Christ is not about what can he fix in my life specifically. The idea behind that is recognizing that A, God created everything in this earth, including you and I, and B, recognizing that we as humans have gone astray, and that we are depraved, and we are in need of a Savior. And that without that Savior, we're all going to be condemned to death, to, to hell, right? A fate worse than just death, right? An eternal uh, uh, hell. And that's not a popular thing to say, or it's not a pleasant thing to hear, especially if you're not a Christian. But that's a reality, right? That's a reality that I know exists. And that... You know, through this salvation, through accepting him as your savior, as becoming a follower of Christ, we can avoid that fate. And ultimately, you know, this is may not make sense to a non-believer, but we can live our lives in a way that are pleasing to God and in a way that brings glory to God, right? And one day, uh, as we pass away and, and, and we meet our maker, we, we can hear the words, uh, well done, good and faithful servant. Right. That's 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 a sentence that I look forward to hearing one day. Right. 
And, and unfortunately, what really breaks my heart is that, you know, even for this individual um, that committed this mass murder in Dayton that is now dead, uh, you know, I, I have, have love for him and his soul. And, and I know that, you know, I, I can't know for sure, but, but you know, based on what I know from Scripture, um, he's going to meet his maker, the very same God, and, and he's going to hear, depart from me, I never knew you, right? And, and he's going to be condemned to, to an attorney in hell. Does he deserve it? Yeah, absolutely. But the point of what I'm saying here is that we all deserve that, right? We've all fallen short of the glory of God and that without his saving grace, that's where we're all heading. So I know this is this is deep. I know I've been going on for, oh, what, 40 some minutes now? We're <laughs> going on 50 minutes. I was not kidding when I said this was going to be almost you know, feature length or whatever I said, but I'm serious. Um, this is heavy stuff, right? And, and I think that the situation here in the United States, politically, geopolitically abroad, the economic and financial ramifications of the last 24 hours, they have momentum of their own. That is going to be difficult to stop. But in our individual lives, I think the antidote to that is and always has been uh, putting one's faith and becoming a follower of Christ. So as always, thank you guys truly from the bottom of my heart for watching this video, listen to the podcast and God bless.